Hello, and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for those highly sensitive people who want to stay fully engaged in the world while still keeping their sense of health and vitality, and with any hope, their sanity. Uh, I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, wellness coach, health educator, and all that good stuff. And in today's episode, what I want to talk a bit about is uh, the topic of emotional regulation. So with highly sensitive people, I mean, as I've talked about before, and which a lot of people who know about high sensitivity have spoken about in spades, uh, those who are highly sensitive feel things intensely. That's just a fact. When they're in a good mood, that ends up being sensational. We're a hoot to hang around. (laughs) Um, We really do a nice job of making people feel appreciated. Uh, We can be fully alive and engaged with the people that we're around. Uh, We're just, you know, at least all of the highly sensitive people I know. So I haven't really met one that was a a doom, gloom, miserable person to know and be around. So, I mean, very small slice of reality. (laughs) Uh, However because of course there has to be a however if you're dealing with someone who can feel things emotionally and feel things with an emotional intensity in particular while it's great when they're at a high their highs are high their lows are also quite low so that it can be kind of a challenge for highly sensitive people for a number of reasons and i mean Obviously, it can be a challenge for those who love these highly sensitive people as well. So anyway, let's get to the the heart of this stuff. Uh, You know, I I was poking around and I was looking at some of the research that Elaine Aaron has done with regard to challenges that highly sensitive people often have. And the reason I was looking is actually because I recently had uh, a bad day. Uh, It was just a, I woke up. I hadn't slept very well. I was in a lousy mood. It was, oh God, I, I, I was teary the whole time. I felt like, uh, I don't know, think about grumpy on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and just, I don't know, square it or cube it or something. I mean, I was just really in a horrible mood. And I know that this has happened before. And in fact, there seemed to have been a pattern. And what I, it was actually my, my boyfriend who noticed it, that there's this pattern that emerges. I seem to be fine for a while. And then out of the blue comes this mood. And then it, I, for him, it's hard to be around. And for me, it's hard to exist in that space. It's not fun. And I was trying to figure out what the qualities of it were. But sometimes that's hard when you're in it to describe exactly what's happening and then once you're out of it or at least for me once I'm out of it once I'm in a better mood again it it's so far away and it's like god I don't know what that was about and so poking around I'm looking through Elaine Aaron's research and she was actually able to pinpoint some really helpful uh, okay pointers signs indications of you know what tends to happen for highly sensitive people when they're emotionally challenged so when highly sensitive people are talking about their emotional landscape, it turns out they're more likely to discuss darker emotions. So they talk about their darker emotions a little bit more often. I don't know if that means we have them more often, but we certainly seem to, quote, go there uh, more often than the average bear. And when we describe our dark emotions we describe it with a greater intensity so we seem to at least subjectively we feel like it's significantly more painful 
than the average person feels like their pain is, at least according to how we're all describing it subjectively. So, I mean, I, no one can really say for sure. A lot of these questions and surveys are are subjective questions. They're, they're questions about our personal experience of ourselves. So, that having been said, so highly sensitive people, we tend to feel things more intensely. When we're in a dark emotion, we feel it really intensely. We don't like it. And here's what's interesting. This is the part that hooked me. Once we're in those spaces, we don't always self-regulate well. There are some things we seem to do pretty well on the whole, I mean, on the macro level, I mean, as a group. But there's a number of really important pieces that we rarely use and which, ironically, would probably be most helpful. Here's what she was able to find in research that she located in a number of articles, uh, or a number of research articles, and, and uh, I guess I'd call them experiments. <laughs> uh, so the, the, there are five, five tools that HSP tend to avoid using and which they should use. The first is to accept your feelings. Now, this one always used to, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, this would just piss me off when people would say this. Just develop a sense of self-acceptance, you know, just accept the feelings. Like, what the, what the, does that even mean? I mean, (laughs) accept, what does that look like? Describe it to me in some detail, please. And on Sunday, when I was having this lousy mood, I, I think I had one version of an experience of that acceptance, and I'll describe for you what it was like for me, and hopefully this is helpful. It's not that I accepted that I was in a lousy mood and said, oh well, I will make peace with it, and then all was fine, and lollipops grew off of the trees, and rainbows went over hilltops. It was more like, okay, I'm just in a really crappy mood today. This is just where I am right now. In the past, I would try and fight it. So maybe I can meditate this away. Maybe I can run this off. Maybe I can listen to enough happy peppy music that this could just go away because I don't like this version of me, damn it, and I want it to stop and just... Acceptance is more about just saying, okay, here I am, and yeah, it sucks. I don't like it. But you know what? It's okay that it sucks. And it's perfectly appropriate that I don't like it. Now what? Well, acceptance might mean then saying, okay, if I'm going to accept this, what is the most supportive thing I could possibly do for myself right now? What would that look like? And on Sunday, what it looked like was coming home to my beloved after a hike, because I did try a hike. I thought maybe if I got out in nature or something, that would perk me up, and it was nice, but (laughs) nope. (laughs) Um, So I got home, and I mentioned him. I just was straight, and I said, hey, I I feel awful today. I'm just gonna, oh yeah, I'm in a crappy mood. Sorry. Uh, And he was fine with it. It's sort of like, all right, well, that is a thing. (laughs) He didn't know what to do about it, but He said, well, what do you want to do with that? And I said, I think I just want to crawl in bed. So I did. And we spent probably a whole day in bed. I mean, I don't even want to, I don't know how much Netflix binging happened on Sunday, but a lot, a lot of Netflix binging. (laughs) And and I, 
I'm usually this hyper energetic, like I'll move, okay, today, for example, in my spare time, I moved the entire, all of the furniture in the bedroom, cleaned the house, got the dishes done, did a workout. And this is the level of energy I'm used to working with. And no, by the way, didn't drink coffee. I know better. See the last episode about why caffeine isn't a good idea. Anyway, so for me to get into a space where all I want to do is curl up in bed and Netflix binge is uh, very unique. So this is what acceptance looked like for me. It wasn't, I'm just going to accept it and transcend into a state of bliss. Um, that wasn't what happened at all. It was, no, I'm, I'm, go- I'm not happy about this. But you know what? There's not really anything I can do about it. And the cool thing about not being able to do anything about it is, well, then... There's nothing I can do about it. So it's like one of those things where it's like, well, if you can change it, don't worry about it because you can change it. If you can't change it, well, then don't worry about it because you can't change it. So there was that second layer of suffering that I was able to remove. That was helpful. Number two, don't be ashamed of these dark emotions. Pah! Uh, so here's, I don't know about all highly sensitive people, but I do know that for myself, I'm highly ashamed of them. I don't like it. It's not pretty. I'm not fun to hang out with. How do I know that? Because I don't want to hang out with me when I'm in a crappy mood. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the glowing ember of transcendent light and, and woo woo. I, I want to be that person. And I'm really attached to the person who's appreciative of every little thing and and can see each and every subtlety as as a piece of the divine i mean that i get into these moods that are just really exuberant and i like that version of me a lot so it's almost as if when i'm cranky and there's nothing i can do about it and meditation isn't helping and exercise isn't doing a thing and i'm eating healthy food and that's not fixing it it kind of feels like failure it's like what's wrong with me why why am I doing it? Do I have a condition? Is this a problem? It, am I broken? That's where I can go with it, and I can go there fast. And once I'm there, I want to retreat. I don't want to be around anyone. I don't want to ask for help, and yet I really want some help. I don't want to be close to anyone, and yet I'd really love some closeness. And it's lonely. It's really lonely. It's, it's like, there must be something wrong with me. And that, I think, for me, is what leads to maximum suffering, because there are these layers now. So here's the feeling, and I don't like it. Then the next phase is, well, maybe I'm going to try and fight it. And then if I fight it, and it's not working, well, then now I'm ashamed, because I couldn't fight it, and in not fight. So anyway, you can see how these layers build on themselves. What does it look like to not be ashamed? Once again, it's not giggles and bubbles and delight. You know, it's not giddy laughter. It doesn't look like uh, a beautiful painting. It's kind of ugly, but what it looks like is having an inner dialogue where, I mean, you can imagine... You know, if you could imagine me separating myself into two different voices, and one voice is saying, I don't like this. This sucks. I don't want this. Get this off. And there's this other voice that's saying, no, no, let's, 
it's more like I, in those moments where I'm ashamed of these emotions, that's what I'm doing is I'm dividing them into two personalities. There's the personality I like, happy peppy Leah, and there's this other personality I don't like, and I'm trying to kick her out of the room, I'm trying to move her away. It's like a part of the painting that, that has a, a flaw in it, and I'm trying to cut that piece of the painting out. And that dichotomy, first of all, is it isn't real because it's all me. That's all me in there. And so what it looks like to not be ashamed is to sit there and say, you know, it's okay. I'm a human being. It's okay to be sad. And I can't control my emotions. Emotions aren't rational. Sometimes I'm just going to feel this way. And, you know, that's fine. So another way of thinking about this is, you know, what would I say to a friend or my beloved or my mom or my, you know, someone I really loved who was in pain for whatever reason and whatever form the pain took? A lot of times it can be sadness, but maybe it's anger. Maybe it's irritability. I have never once sat in a room with my best friend in the midst of her being in a bad mood and thought to myself, ugh, yeah, I don't know if I can love you anymore. (laughs) That's never been, that's never even entered my mind. If anything, I kind of felt honored and privileged. It's like, wow, you're having a day. And you don't feel any self-consciousness about having your day in front of me. You must feel like that's a vulnerable place to be. So I'm not saying, you know, go ahead and vomit all your emotions onto anyone who's nearby. What I am saying, though, is as your emotions are coming up, Try to treat yourself the same way you would treat someone you loved in the midst of a challenging emotion, in their case. Number three, believe you can cope as well as others do. Yep. So I'll give you an example of what this challenge looks like. It looks like I woke up and I only had four hours of sleep, but you know what? My boyfriend only had three hours of sleep and he seems to be doing just fine. I don't get it. How come he's okay? Obviously, I'm the wrong... I'm weak. Because everyone else is doing just fine with life. Everyone else has figured out. They're not panicking and wishing they could jump off a bridge someplace. What the hell? Okay, so let's back off here. Now, everybody suffers. Everybody has their stuff. It's just no one really airs it out in public. Everyone's sort of dealing with it in their own way. Obviously. How do I know this? Well, because I know how much... Like, I should say how fiercely I protect my own issues and try and keep them to myself. So, everyone else is coping with their own challenges as best as they can. I am just as capable of coping as anyone else. It is okay. I do know how to get through this. I am as capable as the next person. Number four, trust that your bad feelings will not last long. In other words... This too shall pass. Easy to say, but when I'm in it, I really, truly swear to everything that is holy, I I really believe it's going to last forever. The thing is, I think that's true of me in all of my circumstances. So when I'm really happy, when I'm, I think I used the word exuberant before, it's like when I'm in those moods of just pure joy, emotionally, I feel like that's going to last forever. So that's sort of like if you're, to give you an example, let's say you're on a date with your honey and it's like, oh my God, I mean, it was just Valentine's Day. Can you see where my brain went? Um, (laughs) You're on this date and it was really lovely. You had a nice glass of wine together. You had a good meal. You went home, made 
passionate love and then slept eight hours that I mean man it was a it was a good day it's like whatever the opposite of Groundhog Day would be like the day you wish you could live over and over again you have that good of a day or at least if I do I wake up every day then I wake up in that moment or I'm in the moment itself saying to myself oh this is gonna last forever this is gonna be great life is amazing life is always gonna be amazing and that's just not true because something invariably happens to mess it up but in the same way when I'm having a terrible horrible no good very bad day I have the tendency to think it's gonna last forever which of course it's not it's as temporary as the good times circumstances change the weather changes seasons change life changes my body changes everything is change so what highly sensitive people often forget in those moments of intense pain is that most of the time it's gonna pass and if you can cling to that and remember that that'll make it better you know you can ease some of the suffering because anybody can handle a day hell even a week or whatever but you know if you think it's gonna last forever that's agony and then finally the last is assume there's hope and that you can do something about your bad feelings now having said that what I do not mean that you can control your bad feelings rather that you have influence so this is a little different from believing you can cope as well as others do in that case it's a comparison issue so a highly sensitive person will look around and see other people and say hey they're doing it well and what what's wrong with me this is more about just me having a relationship with myself I'm assuming that there is hope so I can be in, in the thick of despair and just think oh my god there's nothing I can do there's nothing nothing I can do to make this go away that's maybe not necessarily true like there's a lot of tools available that would probably be really helpful the question is do you feel confident in those skills and in those tools that you've developed and cultivated for yourself and that you can use them in the moment so what do I mean by tools that actually brings me into the realm of those tangibles that I really wanted to get to with regard to um, you know physical health mental health and the like because it's one thing to say just know that you can do something about those bad feelings well like what <laughs> like, what do you have in mind um, so what I'm getting into now the second part so those are the five things that Elaine Aaron it through her research was able to to find in her investigation that we seem to have trouble with so that if we can remember those five things once again if we can remember to accept the feeling do not be ashamed believe you can cope just as well as anyone else trust that it's temporary and then finally yes you do have the power to influence what's happening to you believe those five things really use those inner mantras for yourself they'll be highly effective so what kind of tools though might be useful what are, when I say tools what am I talking about okay so first what I would say is if you're in a moment where your emotions seem to be overriding all of you reconnect with your body I don't know about you but for me when I'm in the in my head my head can feel like a really dark dark place um, and for me it often it uh, comes up in terms of in the form of anxiety it's not a f it's like anxiety it's fast it's rapid it's 
big. It's like standing underneath a waterfall and the water's just dunking, 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 and I can hear nothing. I can see nothing. I'm just overwhelmed by input, like by stimuli, by too much happening in my mind. So the first thing that I do is I get into my body. So uh, movement of any kind. Uh, for me, running is helpful. Walking is even more helpful because I, I with running, that's pure energy. I'm just booking it. I'm trying to get my heart rate to go. I'm trying to match my body with my already racing heart. Walking, though, allows me to do, you know, move, move some of my thoughts around, and then I'm moving slow enough that I can sort of key into some of those thoughts. But yeah, for you, it can be anything. It could be yoga, it could be walking, running, swimming, biking. You could do jumping jacks in the middle of the room. You could pace back and forth. It's just really anything that gets you back into your body. Something that get you, because basically, if your mind is racing, but your body is still, that incongruency can exacerbate suffering. So it's almost like you have to get your body to match your thoughts, and then once they're both at the same place, you can pull them back down together as one. The next one, you know, make sure you have an outlet. In my case, physicality is really helpful. I mean, you know, of course it would be a health coach. But highly sensitive people tend to be extremely creative. We don't necessarily, I'm not saying that we're phenomenal artists and we're going to make a fortune on, you know, I mean, making movies or being movie stars or what have you. What I am saying is that because we have this rich inner life, this intensity, this robust quality happening internally all the time, that processing that we're doing needs some kind of outlet. And so we seem to be adept at uh, practices that are seen as highly creative. So writing would be an example of an outlet. Painting, sculpting, uh, singing, so music. If there's any type of music that you practice or singing that you do, uh, interpretive dance, um, that would also be an example of getting into the body. Anything that allows you to take what's happening internally and put it somewhere on the external, process it in a way that adds beauty. You know, some of the most beautiful works of art have come from the ashes of pain. Uh, next one, arrange your environment to support your body's rhythms. So this might sound a, a little woo-woo, but it, I, I mean it to be super pragmatic. Um, you know, highly sensitive people really fare best when they have go-to places they can count on to recharge. So, you know, don't leave your bedroom messy. Make sure that it's tidy. You know, come home to a space that is clean so that if there's, if there's order around you, it can make you feel better when it seems like there's chaos in your head. Uh, you know, try to, you know, if you're trying to, you know, have a regular sleep pattern, it's hard to have a regular sleep pattern if you don't have a routine in place. So we do great with routines. Uh, in the winter months, it's a lot of times highly sensitive people have challenges with winter. They, they're perhaps, I don't know if they're more likely to develop seasonal affective disorder or not. I don't really have the evidence that suggests it. But I do know that all those with whom I've associated have told me that they seem to be affected by the seasons strongly. So given that that's the case... You know, maybe have full-spectrum lighting available that you can turn on early in the morning when you wake up on those winter seasons. You know, anything that really helps 
your environment to support that that regularity of your physical body will help support your emotional body so to speak and then if it's you know even when you're mobile you know try and arrange your yourself like bring headphones with you everywhere you go so that if you're you're feeling in t- you know feeling overwhelmed you could you know retreat someplace and listen to some soft music uh, maybe have a tiny little bottle of lavender essential oils so that it sort of helps with you know, it's, that's an evidence-based practice, if you believe it or not. You know, a lot of essential oils, aromatherapy is, is the practice, obviously, uh, is known to be helpful with stress management, even with sleep, if you happen to have problems with sleep. So anything that helps you arrange your world, your circumstances, so that when you're triggered, you can easily calm yourself back down, as well as being proactive. When you've arranged your world this way, you're proactively reducing the likelihood of getting triggered by too much stimuli. You're, you're going out of your way to soften your surroundings. Um, the next one, this one's huge, or at least it is for me. Balance your blood sugar, folks. <laughs> uh, I saw a, a bumper sticker once, and I think it read, I'm sorry about what I said when I was hungry. I'm convinced it was authored by an HSP. <laughs> Highly sensitive people um, seem to be particularly sensitive to the ups and downs of their blood sugar. And by blood sugar, what I really mean is their hunger. So if their blood sugar's dropped low and they're hungry, you will know. They'll make sure you know. Even if they didn't intend to make sure you knew. Oh, believe me, you'll know. Um, I don't know if it's true of every single highly sensitive person, but it's true of every one of them that I've met. Uh, so anyway... Don't be that person who just goes with the flow. Oh, I'm going to hang out with some people. We're going to go out together, have some drinks, and I'll, you know, I'll let them dictate where we eat and when and all of that jazz. That's a horrible idea. And the thing that highly sensitive people seem to be challenged with, at least I know for myself, I'm challenged with, I'm not super confrontational. So if I'm starting to get hungry and the group I'm with doesn't want to eat yet, or they haven't decided... That's a, that's a miserable spot for me to be in. So what I would suggest is, yes, it sounds ridiculous, but bring food with you. You know, bring snacks with you so that when you notice yourself getting hungry, you can reach for it. I can't tell you how many fights, arguments I've prevented from that simple act alone. And speaking of that, do not, for the love of all that is holy, do not engage in any difficult conversation with another human being no, no, not just human beings. With any other life force. Don't even talk to a plant if you can avoid it. If you're hungry. Nothing good will come of that. Trust me. I mean, the only exception of being if the difficult conversation is, you know, where should we eat? <laughs> um, I, I can remember even on Sunday, for example, I, I came home after my hike and I was feeling grouchy and I almost made the mistake of coming into the room to see my boyfriend first. If I had done that, I would have yelled at him. I know that because I was just so angry. And he probably would have done nothing to deserve it. I just would, I was that level of just, I would have snipped at him for nothing. And I remember pausing and thinking, no, do not go into the bedroom. Do not say hello. Do not do anything. First, eat. And I did. I ate, I sat, I drank some water, I got my blood sugar back under control. I was still in a lousy mood, but I was human again. And that was a part of why I think I was able to go back in and say, hey, buddy, <laughs> just so you know, I'm struggling here. 
So really important to balance your blood sugar. Keep your blood sugar balanced. And I'll talk a bit in more detail about what I mean by that. But just for now, essentially, if you want to keep your blood sugar balanced and your metabolism firing optimally, with every meal and every snack, you want something with some protein and you want something with some fiber. So ideal examples would be a fruit or a vegetable. There's your fiber. And then something with some protein would be yogurt or string cheese or nuts, seeds. A piece of protein could be meat. It could be a hard-boiled egg. You know, it doesn't have to be anything super snazzy. But if you have those two things in place, that'll really help uh, balance your blood sugar out quite a bit. All right. So finally, last but not least, develop a mindfulness-based practice. Uh, For me, I do yoga therapy. So it's Krishnamacharya's branch of yoga. Um, I have a... Uh, there's a person I work with who helps me tremendously with developing that practice and refining it and evolving it. I also practice meditation and deep breathing. These are the things that I've, I've done and have essentially moved me from a space where I was getting panic attacks several times a week, particularly in the wintertime. Oddly enough for me, I don't sleep super well in winter, and then once I don't sleep well for a number of weeks... My anxiety levels go up so I can get, get much more easily triggered. And then once that happens, I, I keep getting these, you know, panic attacks. That's my experience. So when that's, uh, I went from having that experience maybe a couple of days a week during the winter time, and then it would phase out gradually to now, I mean, this last year, I've only had one and it was a perfect storm of reasons, which aren't that interesting, but it was you know, it's really helped me a lot. And it took time. That's the thing with these mindfulness-based practices. It takes time. But it can be anything from meditation, deep breathing, yoga. I mean, you can meditate while you're doing the dishes, you know, the feeling the warm water washing over your hands. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything woo-woo. It's just anything that gets you into the present moment. A mindfulness practice really helps develop the skill of observing your thoughts from a distance. So it's helpful to think of it this way. When your emotions get triggered, you're essentially getting hijacked. So it's like your mind has fallen into a rapidly moving river and you're getting swept down the current and you're gasping for air and you're just trying to keep yourself afloat. Having a mindfulness practice, whether it's meditation or, you know, whatever, is the equivalent of pulling yourself out of the river The river's still flowing, so your thoughts might still be racing, but you're now outside of it, looking at it and observing it. It's a little safer. So, a lot of people call this the witness, which is a great term for it, Um, you can call it whatever you like. Ultimately, it's just getting some space between you and this emotional gobbledygook that is insisting you pay close attention to it. You want to be the one making sure that you have your thoughts. You don't want to let your thoughts have you. That's what mindfulness-based, pro- you know, uh, mindfulness-based practices. I was going to say projects do for you. Uh, do for me at least. So that's basically the the run of the mill of what I wanted to discuss today in terms of emotional regulation. Super important for highly sensitive people. A lot of people talk about it, but I haven't necessarily seen a ton of of you know, resources that were really specific. So I kind of wanted to get some specific stuff out there. Um, So yeah, to conclude, I'll just say, you know, highly sensitive people, we're really, we're a hoot to be around. We're really lovely most of the time. 
We know how to make people around us feel appreciated, not because we're manipulating you and trying to make you feel like you're special, but because you are so special to me, and I want to make sure you know, and I'm going to go through a, a lot of trouble, and I'm not trouble, I mean, I'm effort, I'm going to take a lot of effort to making sure that you're aware, because I enjoy it so much, I love making you smile. But again, if the highs are that high, you need to know that the lows are super low, and you know, as highly sensitive people, you know, in the U.S., I think we're told quite often, you, we're told to, to fix it. We're fixers. You know, make it go away. Fix it. Cure it. Get rid of it. And I just, I like to contend that that's not really our job. Uh, our job isn't to make it go away. Embrace these things as a part of you. You know, the babies cry for good reason they're trying to communicate that that they're hungry that they need love that they need affection that they need something these painful emotions are that they're it's a way of of something deep within us communicating and saying hey stop it i know for on sunday and looking back i was just tired i was pushing myself hard i'd been pushing myself hard for weeks and doing things i love yes but i pushed too hard or, or maybe not, but hard enough that my body was trying to communicate with me. My Something deep saying, you know, Leah, that's been fun, but you're going to need to slow down. And then as soon as I allowed for that to take place, I was right back to me again. So our job isn't to make it go away. Treat it as something as valuable as the highs, because it it's just a communication style that our bodies are trying to... That our bodies are trying to communicate with us. Uh, they're painful. That's absolutely true. The danger with them also is, you know, if we don't develop tools to manage them, so again, we're not going to control them ever, but we can influence them and we can manage them, we can support them. We can actually develop habits, like a habit of misery. And those habits of misery can develop into a bona fide depression. And chronic depression is not something you want to mess with. So on one hand, I'm not saying reject it. I'm saying, you know, really embrace it as a part of you. But I'm also not saying allow yourself to be victimized by it. That helps no one. You know, a lot of times if you, with highly sensitive people, it, with anyone, with anyone with, who has a label that they're, they're, they're holding on to and saying, this label serves me in some way. I know some folks who use that as an excuse or as a way of allowing themselves to become victimized. Like they're defining themselves by their chronic illness or their disease or their trait. And that's not healthy either. It's more about finding that middle path. You know, on one hand, acknowledging, hey, these are challenges that are probably going to happen for me by nature of who I am and how I'm wired. Knowing that, how do I work with it? How do I allow these things to become a part of me and be useful information and feedback while still moving in the direction of the kind of person I want to be every day. So, I guess the best way I have to sum this all up is really, if you want to regulate your emotions effectively, the best thing that you can do is treat yourself with the same compassion, the same love, uh, the same level of care that you would treat your best friend. So... With that, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me today. Hope you have a great week. 
Look forward to checking in next week. Take good care. <laughs>